What's up everybody, it's John Morgan. Listen, I wanna to come to y'all and tell y'all right now where you can go and get your LYP merch, www.lypp.org. That's where you can get all the fly crew necks like the one I got on right now. You're gonna get your hoodies, your hats, any type of product that we selling at LYP, you have to go to the website to get it. You can't go to Amazon or no, no third party company to get our products. You gotta to go to www.lypp.org right now to get all of this latest stuff lyp you can also get information on the pod new information on the episodes that we got dropping anything lyp related go to that website right now lypp.org peace rolling but we gonna let it we just gonna let the vibe set in for a minute yes sir when he played this though <laughs> lost my goddamn mind <laughs> i lost my damn mind man i thought i was summer walker Shut and the ghost fuck face. up when love what? talking nigga hey listen <laughs> hey my wife said he said that is such an amazing yeah, line <laughs> Yeah, like, what baby. do you say to that? What did nigga tell you? Shut the fuck up when you hear love talking. Mm. You just, you can't even hear that and just. All right, all right. It just, you know and what I'm saying? And then Ghost just floats on this oh one, my God, man. man. It's probably one of his all-time best verses, bro. Man. Definitely one of his all-time best features. Yes. Sure. And that's saying something. And that says a lot, because the last Ghost feature that was, like, that high a bar was uh, New God Level. Kanye, Pusha T, that joint. When, when Ghost popped up on that, was yeah. like, oh wow, this is a, this is a moment. This was a moment. And Ghost is one of them dudes. It's like you gonna know when Ghost is like, yeah. you gonna you gonna know like he's gonna be the standout. No yeah, matter, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Kendrick, Summer Walker, Pusha T. It don't matter who. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gonna man. He gonna do his thing, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. And a double tie. So yeah, man, I'ma just really kind of get into your story a little bit. Sure. And then you know we just again we just gonna we gonna flow. Sounds good, bro. Thanks again for the opportunity. No problem, man. No problem. Thank you. I love what you're doing with your podcast too, man. man. That's why. Thank you, man. I get up for interviews all the time. Yeah. I don't say, especially now. (laughs) I don't. I don't. You know what I'm saying? I don't accept every interview request, bro. You know what I mean? I'm intentional too. (laughs) It's such a um. It's fucked up because podcast. It is like it's. It's not getting watered down, but it's getting oversaturated a little bit. It's a lot. I went to a podcast conference, uh, Black Equity Con. You listen to David Shan, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Proof. And it was like, you know, everybody there was was a fan and or had their own podcast. You know what I mean? So it's a but at the same time, it's a multi-million dollar industry, soon to be a billion dollar industry. So But you know what though? You, it's gonna it's gonna weed itself out like everything else. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. And anything else, it's gonna weed right. the people out that don't really had a love for who not really invested in it. Yeah. Number one, this shit costs money. It yes. Takes time. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? If you ain't 
if you ain't doing either one of those, if you ain't putting right. up your own money, yeah. if you ain't looking to, you know what I'm saying, really invest your time, mm-hmm. you ain't going to last, bro. Right, right. You know so I, the way that I look at it is, all right, I'm playing the long game. It's going to be so many people who start and finish. Yeah. I'm going to just run my own race, bro. You Straight know what I'm saying? Up. Straight up. Talk to these niggas, Summer. <laughs> Summer be talking, man, you know? <laughs> what you think about... Uh, what Diddy was saying, man, about R&B being dead. Diddy is promoting his <laughs> flat out. Don't let Diddy gas you, man. It's not granted. Granted, it is very much different than what it was. It is, but it's a lot. And I'm of not great, saying that's a bad thing. Like, but it's a lot of great R&B. Oh out. yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah, great yeah. R&B. But Diddy is. He promoting his R&B album. I think he yeah. got an R&B label coming. Like, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. He's a genius. Yeah, yeah. He's a marketing yeah. genius. Yes, that's what he. That's what he's doing, man. You know, Khaled. Khaled is a marketing genius. Whether or not you you love him or hate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a marketing genius, and bro, this this guy did campaign. Oh he's my god, doing he's killing insa- it. Bro, he's did it. you see the track list? He's it's killing. like he's got everybody on this. Really, album. everybody. But he got, always do though. But this time, like, he got people It's like, he's got his first collaboration with Eminem. Really? Dr. Dre produced the track. It's, uh, it's actually, uh, it's one of Ye's songs, Use This Gospel. It's a remix to Use This Gospel okay. with Eminem. Okay, okay, okay. Produced by Dr. Dre. Okay, okay. So, like. So, he went to his bag. He, yeah, man. And, and everybody budget, that's budget. heard Hov's verse on this has said, this is Hov's best verse in a decade. So, I'm like, I want to hear Hov's verse. That's what I want to hear. You know what I mean? But at the same time, Khaled has this. <laughs> he leans on Drake so much. He every does. time he every time an album come, he leans on Drake hard. And he it's does. like this time I don't know what you think of staying alive, but I'm not a fan of it, bro. I'm Man, just, I can't. I'm you know what? It's not as bad. When I first heard it, it's not as bad as I originally thought. Yeah. But it's I still don't really rock with it like just, that. But he lean on Jay a lot too. Yeah, he do. Like <laughs> But JB delivering this one, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. See, man, the staying I, alive joint just didn't do it for me. When the la- when's the last Khaled Drake record that's really been? I fucked with Popstar personally. I like Popstar. Okay, I liked um. What was the other one that came around around that time? Was it Grease? Grease. I like Grease. Yeah, Grease was cool too. Like they weren't bad records. They weren't been, like they ain't been. I'm on one level. Yeah, though. man. Nothing is nothing is top that. Like yeah, it ain't because he ain't had the like joint that. for free. No new friends. Like which no new friends was a banger. But them but shits nothing, ain't been. Yeah, they ain't been up there like yeah, that. I'm on one is is in a league of its own. That's what I'm saying, man. It's about just... to, he said on interviews, it's about to go diamond. That joint, man. That's yeah. But back to what he said about Jay. Yeah. Man, he said the same thing about... Oh, he says that all the time. Yes, he said that the same thing about Jay's verse on I Got the Keys. And I'm going to keep it real. That was kind of mid for Jay's... Jay's, You know what I'm saying? For Jay's... You know, not... Listen, Jay's mid is high level for everybody. Very high level. But Very. Compared to... Yeah. I just... I got to wait to see, man. Everybody, like... 
obviously Hov's inner circle, like Lenny S talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Khaled, uh, B Dot from right. Radar, which right. I'm so glad that podcast right, is back. back. Mm-hmm. And then um, Speedy Mormon, yeah. who just interviewed Khaled. He good. said the same Speedy thing. Speedy is really good. And I, that's why I'm like, okay, if Speedy is saying it too, because he's a younger cat. Mm-hmm. If he's saying it too, then it's got to be like, it's got to be. So is it Jay by itself? Is it only Nah, it's, it's Jay. They, they released, when the track list today, it was Jay, Rick Ross, and at least one other artist is on that song. Okay. Yeah. Listen, now, okay. Now, Jay and Ross don't miss. Never. Now, they don't miss. Never. <laughs> they don't miss, so. Straight up. Okay. All right. Okay. We going to see. Straight up. We going to see. Let's see if I can pull this up. Because, like, it was like. It was like, yo, he's he's swinging for the fences really? with this track, really? bro. With all the features and all that. Let me see. Yeah, it's got Ross, Wayne, Jay Z, John Legend. Oh, really? New Cat Friday. I've never. You know what's crazy is, man, Wayne has really been on the tier, and like, yeah. and like, I, 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 um, I mean, shit, Wayne is my era, so like. I was outside when Wayne was at his height, like you know what I'm saying. So like I got an appreciation. Let's rapper live. Yeah, come on, like I rem- I was in that. Yeah. But like the last few years, like I've been off off Wayne like that. But the last two or three years, oh he been he been he been smoking shit, man. So like, okay, Wayne Ross and Jay, okay, all right. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Damn, I'm trying to think when the last Jay and Wayne song. Uh, Hello Brooklyn. Damn, and that's. Either Hello Brooklyn that or Mr. Gangster? Carter, because he was on. They were on Mr. Right. Carter together. On, Which one of those came? Carter Three, I think. American Carter. Gangster came out first, I think, before oh, Carter seven. Three. Yeah. Damn, it's been that long, bro. Fifteen years, bro. Okay, okay. All right, see, you got my whole. Okay, all right, okay, all right. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see now, I'm a whole man. Stand. I'm a whole stand, so I'll be too, man. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, man. Let's jump on in, man. Listen, welcome everybody to another episode of the Leave Your Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan Jr. Um, as always, man, LYP is dedicated to telling amazing stories um, from creators and, you know, really how they are been on their healing journeys to to really, you know, help help each other to have dope, authentic, organic conversations. Um, man, this, this brother that I got here with us, man, you know, we've been chopping it up a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm just so excited to have him here with us. Um, I love what he's doing. You know, from afar, I've been watching him, and I love what he's got going, man. You know, we got Brother Archie Green in the building, man. What's happening, man? The founder of Peel Them Layers back, man. How you feeling, man? Man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, man. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is hometown. This is where my wife was raised down in Akron, so it's always nice. I'm, I'm usually down here visiting my in-laws anyway, okay. man. So. Um, but I love what you're doing with this podcast as well, man. So when I got the call, it was like, like I said before, I get hit up for interviews <laughs> all the time. And I don't say yes all the time. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah. one I was like, yeah, I, I love what you're doing. Well, man. Thank you, so man. I, I, be here. I genuinely appreciate that. So let's, first and foremost, man, before we even kind of get into your story, how are you? How's your, how's your spirit? How's your energy? Genuinely, how are you in, in this season? How, how are you? I'm good, man. You know, I'm... Um, I'm in a season of some transitions, you know what I mean? Like I've been running my organization now for almost six years and I've been like the face, I've been like everything. As you know with entrepreneurship in the beginning, like you're doing everything, you're running around. 
And now I'm at a point now where I want to bring on more, more of a team and bring on more stories. So it's not just my story that represents PBLB because, you know, we represent black men and boys. So there's a lot of stories of trauma. There's a lot of stories of healing that need to be told in order to spread that message, um, you know, of, of mental health across the globe. And so I'm at a point now where I'm like, all right, let me, let me start, you know, pushing off some of the, you know, the storytelling and, and let me start supporting and elevating the stories of the youth, of mm-hmm. the people that we serve, you know what I mean? And so, like, I'm, I'm at a stage in my professional career where I'm, I'm like, I'm big homie now. <laughs> like, I was the young cat. The OG. Was, yeah. I'm an OG now. Yeah. Um, and I want to start supporting, you know, and, and training young, other young brothers to tell their story because every time we open up, every time we tell our truth, you know, we help someone else heal. Yeah. We don't just heal ourselves, we yeah. help someone yeah. else heal. Man, I, I heard somebody say once, man, they said, um, you shouldn't ask people what, what they what they do, you know what I'm saying? When it comes to like how they live in their life, you should ask people what happened to you, right? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because that's a that gives you real insight into, you know, why somebody is really doing the work that they're doing today. Yeah. So like what happened to Archie Green along his journey that kind of led you up to doing the work you're doing today? Sure. So, you know, it, it starts really for me when I was like a little kid, elementary school. You know, I grew up, you know, for the listeners who don't know, I grew up in a small suburban town called Chagrin Falls. You know, it was predominantly white neighborhood. Um, I was one of very few minorities there. Um, and a matter of fact, my last year there, uh, which was my freshman year of high school, I was the only African-American there, period. Mm. Like, yeah. you know, the teachers weren't black. Yeah. Janitors weren't right. black. None right. of my classmates, nobody um, and so, you know, I grew up in a very, I was an outcast, you know, from the beginning, not just an outcast at school, but I'm the only like real creative in my family. Like, I don't like, I think my grandfather, my dad's side, his brother was a musician, but outside of that, there's no other artists, there's no other creators. And for me, I grew up like loving Michael Jackson, like a lot of kids in our era growing yeah. up, like I was the guy who you know, would, would dance whenever his videos came on and try to do the moonwalk. It's like, like for me, entertainment was something I always wanted to do. It was a seed that God planted in me. And I was the type of kid, like my parents had got me one of those mic stands, little mic stands, yeah. with the lights yeah. flicker and all that. And so on a regular, on a regular average or random night, my parents come home, all the lights is off. They like, so I know they thinking like, why are all these lights off? Like, what is going on? They walk in, and I turn on my little mic, and I put some music on, and I'm doing karaoke and putting on a show, like yeah, if it yeah. was their anniversary or something. like. So I always, and I had, like, I used my dad's tape recorder. I was recording, like, a radio show, like, creating these characters. I always wanted to entertain. And then when, you know, when Hard Knock Life came out, that was when I was like, oh, I want to do that. Mm. I want to rap. Mm. Like, I want to be a a rapper like Jay-Z, because it was the first time I'd seen anything like that before. Right. Like, I had heard other artists, you know what I mean? Like, I think the, fir- the first ever rap CD I ever bought was Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Oh, man. That okay. was the first, and I had heard Biggie and all these other artists, but when Hove came out with Hard Knock Life and I saw that video, I was like, I want to try that. You know, I was 13 at the time, and I wrote my first rap, and, you know, and, and I just, I've been doing it ever since, and so... That's where my creative, you know, my creative journey started. As far as my mental health journey, 
I was living with depression most of my life, and I didn't know it. I was undiagnosed. I didn't know what therapy was growing up. Um, you know, like my sister, uh, she's adopted, and you know, she she actually did go through going through counseling, family counseling, with my parents. You know, at times, but I wasn't exposed to that, and so I didn't know what therapy was. I didn't know what depression was or anything. I just knew that, you know, a lot of times I was down. A lot of times I was sad. You know, when you're going to a school, you're the only black kid, you know what I mean? And nobody else really gets you or understands you. Um, and so, you know, eventually I transferred to a more diverse school, uh, Solon. And this was after I had experienced a traumatic event um, with another student who basically had written, you know, I had already seen like the N word, like drawn on the walls in certain places. And again, kids feeling my hair without my permission and all of that. But there was a um, it was a altercation, a verbal altercation I got into with a, a classmate of mine, who called me out on my name, and instinctively I knew that there was nothing I could physically do to him. I'm one of one of one, the only black kid, black person, and so I know if I put my hands on this guy, been all I'm done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the you know principal's office, and eventually my parents just after that they decided okay we gotta get him out of there, you know, and so. We went to a more diverse school, um, this town called Solon, um, and that's actually where I ended up graduating. But my first year at Solon was difficult for me because, you know, again, I come from an all-white neighborhood, all-white school, and now I'm in a you know more diverse school, and you got kids that's looking at me like, "Yo, why you why you talk white? <laughs> yeah. Why are you always going to school?" Right. Are you not skipping like <laughs> right, us? Right, right. Why are you getting all these? Oh, you read, bro. You know, you, you read. read? Yeah, Why are you yeah, getting all these? Yeah. Which is all self hate. Right, right. You know, which is a byproduct of white supremacy. Right, correct. Like, and so, like, within that first, I probably say the first semester or so, um, I wrote a song about ending my my own life, and I didn't know at that time that that was suicidal ideation mm -hmm. and that that was a form of therapy. Mm -hmm. It was what I was feeling inside. Mm -hmm. You know, up to that point, I had felt so dejected and so so much an outcast. Like at my old school, chagrin. You know, I'm, I'm I mean, I had suppressed this memory for years. But in third grade, like my yearbook, I defamed, I defamed my own picture. I threw the devil's horns and the mustache and the beard because that's how I saw myself based on other people's impression of me. I had a very low uh, perception of myself. I didn't love myself at all. And so when I got to Solon, I'm like, man, I'm finally going to be around black kids. And I wasn't accepted for who I was. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? I can't go to white school. I can't go to school with black kids. And so I had written this song. And that's another memory I suppressed for a long time, which, again, you know, you, you, you kind of naturally suppress certain traumatic events or things you know, to protect yourself mm -hmm. from them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, protect yourself from being triggered. Correct. And so um, I wrote this song. Eventually things turned around. I only kept the song for like three days and I deleted it um, just because, you know, I was like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to carry this. I didn't show it to anyone. I just kept it on my CD Walkman. You know what I mean? And so eventually um, I graduated from Solon um, and I ended up, going to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, studied econ, um, you know, graduated from Morehouse, uh, magna cum laude. I was all honors, all of that. 
Um, and when I came home, I ended up getting a job at a bank because my parents was like, this music ain't going to pop off. You got to get a real job. This is a phase mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you got to grow out of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You got to get a real job because the difficulty of making it as a musician or as a rapper is very slim. It's like trying to join the NBA, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so at that time, you know, I really, it hurt me that my parents didn't support me the way I wanted them to, right. but I understood it. Mm -hmm. I understand it. You know what I mean? And so that was another thing that was kind of contributing to me feeling low me yeah. feeling depressed because I was misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, you know, my parents and my family and the people around me didn't really understand like my worldview as a creative. Right. And so, um, you know, mm -hmm. I ended up, you know, taking this job at a bank and um, I really, you know, it was, I hated that job. <laughs> I was a banker, so like I was the guy you come in to pick up, uh, to get to open up a bank account. You come in to apply for a credit card or, um, you know, a loan or something like that. I was at a bank. It was and, mundane. Oh, it was so mundane. And I was the guy who, you know, I went to I went to high school with Kid Cudi. He was a year ahead of me um, at Solon, and I remember like, you know, having lunch in my uh, in my car, listening to Pursuit of Happiness mm -hmm. in tears. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man. There's got to be more to my life than this. Like, I didn't, God didn't give me this gift of music, of writing, because at this point I had done certain projects. Like, I had, you know, I had done, like, back when Mick Boogie was doing mixtapes, mm -hmm. like, I had done some collaborations with him, so I knew I was talented. And, um, you know, I, the other, like, events that happened that showed me, like, this really is a thing, like, I'm really good at this is, um, I submitted for a competition at Talib Kweli and his label, Blacksmith Entertainment. They were doing this, like, almost like an unsigned hype project, and I submitted a song, and he chose one of my songs for this project. And I'll never forget, I flew to New York for the uh, release party. Mick Boogie was spinning that night, um, and as soon as I walked in, it's at La Poisson Rouge, LPR, in New York, he played my record mm. in the club mm. in New York City. Mm. Like, what that did for me as far as, like, not just the pat on the back from Kweli, but, like, to hear my own song. The first time I ever heard it in the club was in New York City. Yeah, that's like, me. that was huge. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, eventually, you know, I was like, I need to be in New York. I need to be where the action is. I was like, I don't care how. I just need to get there. And so, I looked, um, I started looking at grad school programs for music business. And I saw that New York University had a music business program at their Steinhardt School. So I applied. I got in. Um, ended up moving in with, uh, you know, my roommates. You know, I, the place, sight unseen. They were looking for a roommate. Uh, one of them, one of my roommates, Will Cooper, who's now one of my best friends, he had interned for my mom the summer before. So she was like, why don't you call Will? Maybe he'll know. And this is how God works. She was like, maybe he'll know where you can stay. And I called him up. He's like, well, actually, one of our roommates is moving out. I was like, say less. I'm there. Right. Um, and New York changed my life. Yeah. It, like. Man, man it's, I resonate with so much of what, what you just said. Um, but specifically, like, the experiences of being a black kid in my, you know, majority white, white school or white environment. A lot of times, man, we don't really understand really the 
overall impact that that does to black kids specifically psychologically, right? Like, you know, I was, I went, I was telling you, you know, all my God, I remember going to school, you know, with your, with your wife back in the day, we went to a private school, you know, uh-huh. majority yeah. white, a yeah. uh, 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 white private Christian school at that. Yeah, so, yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? It's yeah. the majority white, white school. And then, you know, my mother and my stepfather, they got married when I was like 10. And then we ended up moving out to the suburbs and I went to a majority white school in the suburbs as well. And I was always like one of a few yeah, black yeah, yeah, kids, yeah. right? And I can remember like, I, I remember vividly those experiences of like, bro, you you talk white, like, yeah, you know what I'm right, saying? Like, and right. I can remember thinking like, shit, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just doing like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? What I'm supposed to be doing. You yeah. know, that's, that's how I was thinking in my mind. Yeah. But what that did to me internally is that, you know, it, it fuck with my confidence, you know what I'm yeah. saying, really. And now I also play sports as well, and I'm playing I'm playing sports in the hood, in, in the city, playing football mm-hmm. and basketball. So I'm going and navigating these different cultures or whatever, and, like, I'm learning myself, but at the same time, I'm lacking the confidence to kind of assert myself when I'm around my own people because on a day-to-day basis, outside of maybe, like, my family and my cousins, I'm not really a lot, around a lot of black kids like that, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So... It took me years to really understand that, like, okay, no, I was in an oppressive environment, you know what I'm saying, at 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 those um at those school facilities. And like, you know, from a cultural perspective, like I was disconnected f- from my culture. But then I understood that, like, all right, my mother was just doing the best she could with what she mm-hmm. had, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Her, I and I remember asking her one time, I said, I said, Mom, why you put me in school with all them white folks back in the day? Mm-hmm. And you know, she said, Listen. I was just trying to make sure that you were straight. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I didn't want you, you know, being in an environment in school where you had to like worry about things outside of learning. Mm-hmm. And when she said it like that, I'm like, I get it. Yeah. You know, that, that 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 makes perfect sense. But a lot of times, man, we don't really understand the impact of like being thrusted into those majority white environments and what that does to, to us to us psychologically. And the more and more I had these conversations with people, man, a lot of us had those experiences of being like one of only, you know, a few black kids, if not the only one yeah. in these white environments. Yeah. And now we are really seeing the impact of like, no, we was impacted through o- oppression and racism at an early, early, early age. Early age. Systemically, then a lot of people don't, you know what I'm yeah. saying, really understand. A lot of people don't look at it like that. You know, we yeah. think that oppression and racism really only impacts, you know, um, black folks, like, you know, from an economical level. But it's like, right. no. When you in their world, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, that yeah. that can weigh on you I- I- as well, man. So Absolutely. it's interesting to, like, you know what I'm saying, really hear you talk about how much that weighed on, you know, your, your psyche. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I mean, and the <clears throat> thing about it, to your point, um, you know, when I first started rapping, like, you know, back in those days, it was like, if, unless you had street cred, it was like, what you rapping for? <laughs> Facts. You know what I mean? And Facts. so, like, I'm sure you could also relate those conversations with kids in the inner city, be like, how can you complain? Mm-hmm. You, ain't, you ain't really, you ain't grow up, you ain't grow up in the hood like I did. You you had your parents or, you know, you grew up in this white neighborhood or whatever. How how did you struggle? You so, know I mean? so, 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 for, so for me, you know, again, we moved out to the suburbs. My mother, my mother and my stepdad, they had pretty damn good jobs working at Chrysler, mm-hmm. right? So they making pretty decent money. But now that I understand how stuff works, if you qualify for a certain a lot of money, you able to get, approved for a bank loan or whatever yeah. and you end up getting a nice yeah. crib or whatever so i got this big old house and niggas is like 
bro, you live in this this right. wonderful crib, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, bro, you don't really even understand. I'm going through hell at the house. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? It may it looks good on, yeah. on the outside, mm-hmm. but really, I'm growing up in this domestic violence ridden household, mm. and it's hell living in that. You know what I'm saying? But when you in those type of conversations, number one, you don't really have the tools to kind of like speak to those things. Yeah. But people really don't understand. They don't, you know, connect. You know, some things don't look as good on the inside as they do on the outside. All the glitters ain't gold. That's a fact. You know I mean? <laughs> like, so, uh, but yeah, man, um, you know, I, so as far as New York was concerned, New York changed my life, man. Like, you know, I, I, you know, NYU was a great experience, you know, and the internships I had, like one of them was with Red Bull Records. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was when like they had been around for a couple years and, I remember, like, being in some of the meetings, like, one of the things, there was this band called AWOL Nation that was popular. They had this song called Sail. And one of the things that was trying to figure out, I was like, how can we get this to cross over? I was like, I'm a producer, too. So I was like, man, this sounds like a hip-hop sample record. You mm-hmm. know, I was like, you need to get, like, a rapper on it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was this kid from Compton who was just starting a bubble named Kendrick Lamar. I was like, yo, you should get this guy Kendrick Lamar. Next thing you know, they ended up, I wasn't the main guy, but I was one of the people suggesting you get Kendrick Lamar. And lo and behold, they, they did a, a remix with Kendrick and Ab Soul mm. you know, for this at this AWOL Nation. I was also, I worked Kendrick's uh, Good Kid, Mad City listening party at Chung Kong Studios, you know, in New York, which was crazy, a crazy experience to be there. Yeah. But it, what New York gave me, you know, that I still have to this day was my entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes to New York to chill. Right, right. Everybody you make, is. You can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Bruh, if you, you either on your way to the money, you coming from the money, heading to the money. Right. Like, there's no, nobody comes to New York just to kick it. Even though, for me, I try to go back once a year just to breathe the air. Right, right. Because I love that city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, like, after I graduated, got my master's, two degrees, no job. So, of course, I'm like, you know, I... At this point, I'm like, I'm trying to stay, like I'm living on a credit card, like trying to hang on to this dream of being in New York, and it just didn't work out, so I ended up having to come back home. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I ended up breaking up with my then fiance, this woman who I had been with for five years. Um, you know, we broke up. I had to move back home with my parents, mm. you know, and there at this time, they're living in Aurora, which is much further out than, right. you know, than where Cleveland is. Um, I didn't have any job, and I had, like, no money. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, a very low period in my life, you know. And so I was, you know, eventually I ended up getting a job, working at Beachwood Place, the small back at home, mm-hmm. selling women's shoes. And, you know, I didn't know it, but I just I became an alcoholic. Mm. Like, I was – alcoholism was in my family – and you know what they say, it just sneaks up on you. Yeah, 100%. And for me, it snuck up on me. And I didn't know <clears throat> when I was in it, I didn't know how bad it was. You know what I mean? And I know my parents, if they if they ever watch or listen to this episode, they're going to be like, what? No, nah, like, like, it was definitely their prayers that kept me alive. Because, like, I was the guy. This was my routine. I started at the crib, my pregame, on my own. So I either get a few beers or, you know, down a couple, you know, couple shots, whatever. Head to my to my nigga spot, drink some more, 
drive to the event, to the party, drink whatever, more drink more there, and then drive home. I didn't fell asleep at the wheel. I didn't uh, bumped into people's cars. Mm-hmm. One time I got on the, uh, the highway going the wrong way, like all kinds of crazy shit. And the craziest thing that happened um, was like this one night I was coming from this function downtown, and for whatever reason, I ended up pulling off on this uh, exit by Newburgh Heights, which for those who those who don't know, the police station is right there, literally Newburgh adjacent. Newburgh, not play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not play. And I fell asleep with my foot on the brake wow. at the exit. I wow. wake up to an officer knocking on my window. And this is how, again, how you know God was watching over me because he was like, he's like, look, man, like, you know, you didn't hurt anybody. You know, you, 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 at this point, it's like if you can get somebody to come pick you up, you leave your car here at the station, pick it up in the morning. Oh, he was so looking out. He was looking. It was a white cop, mm-hmm. too. So, like, it was really, like, it was nothing but divine intervention. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I ended up calling one of my homies. He picked me up. It was 4 a.m. in the morning. He took me back to his crib. I slept on his couch for, like, three hours. He took me back to the police station. I picked up my car, drove home, changed, went to work. Reeking of alcohol, mm. reeking of the night before. Mm-hmm. This was my routine, yeah. man. Yeah. I was depressed. Right. You know, I was alone. Didn't really have a, a committed relationship with anybody. I just again was like, man, I went to New York. I got this second degree in music business, and I'm not really doing it. And so, uh, on one fateful night, um, I ended up getting a call from some fraternity brothers. I'm a member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Incorporated, and I got a call from one of the bros. We're like, man, we haven't seen you since you moved back from New York. You know, you should come to the frat house, have uh, some drinks, some laughs. So, you know, I was like, all right, bet I'll just you know, have a couple drinks, whatever. So, pull up to the frat house, you know, and I'm, I'm in there because like we have a liquor license at the house, but we not like bartenders, you know what I'm saying? So like you With the get liquor like, license, you can do whatever you right, want. Right, you can do whatever you want, right? right like right. so, like I'm getting like a splash of ginger. And like just just Ooh. douses like of what gasoline. Like I'm drinking brown. I'm a brown drinker, so Ooh. I'm drinking like Crown. Jack. I'm Jack drinking Crown. Crown. Jack. <laughs> I'm drinking like Crown. Crown. Nope. None of that Crown out. I don't do Crown apple. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, drinking yeah. Crown. Crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With some Coke. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, as I'm getting in my car and, and about to head home, I back into another brother's car. That's when it's like, I you know. I was so gone, I didn't know, you know, and a bunch of the brothers that were with me were also drunk, so I, you know, eventually I couldn't blame them, right? you know, and so, like, I ease on down the road, and uh, I get to where I'm about to hop on, because, again, I'm in Aurora, so I'm, like, 40 minutes away from home, and I was about to hop on the freeway, and right as I'm about to hop on the freeway, the police, I see the blue and red lights behind me, um, and then, you know, I, somebody had called because I was swerving, Get out of my car, failed sobriety test, the field sobriety test. I'm, I blew well over the limit, placed in handcuffs, taken to jail, mm-hmm. to a holding cell. It was the worst night of my life. It was the low. I had hit rock <clears throat> bottom mm-hmm. at that point. You know, and thankfully I had two parents I could call to come bail me out. Again, they're coming from Aurora. It's 3 in the morning, so I'm, I'm going to be there for a while. So they had me in this cell. Um, and, you know, I'm in there by myself. I'm crying like crazy, like a baby. And what happened next was 
a very prophetic thing. You know, there was a voice that came to me. You know, some people call it the Holy Spirit, the universe, Buddha, whatever you want to call it. I also call it self, my subconscious. And the voice said two things. The first thing it said to me was to stop crying. I immediately stopped crying. Like, waterworks just stopped. And the second thing that it said to me was, they can trap your body, but they cannot trap your mind. I didn't know at that point in my life that that would basically inform what I'm doing today. Mm. Mm. Helping to free mental, men from mental prisons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, at that point, after that night, I was confronted with my depression. Like, staying in bed all day, not answering the phone, phone be right here. You feel like a brick right. to pick it up. Man, what was your what was your relationship with, with, with your parents at this time? Like, even when you was dealing with your stuff, even um, at school, you know, were you coming home and like telling them like, yo, this this is craziness is what's, what's going on? Were you experiencing these these low moments, you know what I'm saying, as you 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 working yourself up to being, you know, an alcoholic and dealing dealing with your traumas. Are you communicating with anybody close to you? Nah, what, what are your, I was keeping that stuff to myself because, like, at that point, I was living, I think, well, at the time I got my DUI, I had moved back in with my parents. But before that, there was a time where I was living on my own. And so I didn't tell them what was going on. You know what I mean? I was, it was just me, the bros, friends. And I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think, like, I was like, you anybody, know, this is what everybody do. Anybody in your family struggle with um, oh, yeah, addiction? Yeah. yeah, yeah. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He actually... You know, God rest his soul. Um, he went to rehab, you know, and, you know, and he had to really, and he put the bottle down. He never dr- had another drink, you know, until the day he died. Um, and so my, my dad used to always warn me, just be careful because it creeps up on your ass. Man, my and uncle, so so many of the, of, the, of the men and just people in my family in general really struggle with addiction. You know, my father, my grandfather, my uncles. Um, and I can remember my uncle, my uncle got sober when I was maybe, uh, I want to say maybe like a matter of fact, it was either the year that, it, that I was born, me and my cousin that we were born, or the year before. But coming up, we were always close with him, and he would always tell us, "Listen, man, y'all got to be careful because y'all have something inside of y'all. If y'all not careful, y'all gonna wake that bro. Y'all gonna wake that monster up in there, bro. bro. It's the reason why they call spirits." That's a fact. It's a reason why <laughs> they a, call spirits, bro. Yeah, that is a fact. Because I, you know, from obviously, like, I mean, I had tons of times I blacked out where I didn't know what was going on, and the people around me told me, and I was like, wait, what? Were there, um, what were some of the other, because what you, what you really explaining, man, is that you were, you were coping, you know what I'm saying, with your, with your mental health at, the, at this time. Were there, was there any other forms of things that you were doing, looking back on it, that were, you were doing as, using as negative coping, um, Coping habits? Smoking. Like, I was smoking black and miles like crazy. <laughs> Listen, bro, I'm laughing because, man, I used to smoke a pack a day, bro. Bro, I used same. To smoke a pack of miles same. a day. Matter of fact, I couldn't wake up. I couldn't take a drink. I couldn't take a shit. I couldn't have <laughs> sex. I couldn't do nothing without having that mile right next. I mean, I, would, I had a glass ashtray in my car yeah. with a fresh mile. Listen, those who know, <laughs> those who know, they know me. They yeah. know I am not. I'm not I'm yeah, not man, I was, I mean, I was like, bros, like anytime I was around, bros knew to give me, give me some black miles, <laughs> man. So that was another you know, toxic habit that, you know, I've, I've since quit. I finally did quit 
smoking black and miles. Uh, I still have a cigar from now, every now and then. But, um, but yeah, man. And then eating, like I would eat whatever. Like I wasn't really exercising or taking good care of of my body. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so yeah, I was engaging. In, I just, I didn't care. Mine was mine was women. Like mm. I, I indulged with just messing with a bunch of different women, mm. and I didn't a lot of. I didn't realize at the time that I was like, I was avoiding my feelings and just avoiding, you know, the stuff that I was experiencing by like just dealing with a lot of women, you know, yeah. and a lot of times, man, a lot of brothers, man, we don't really look at like this frivolous activity, just dealing with a bunch of different women and just, just messing with different women and just hopping over this one and that one. We don't really understand that a lot of times, man, we are suppressing our emotions and really yeah. you know living through ego yes you know, you know what i'm saying and that was that was trying to conquer more than drinking more than smoking it was avoid it was avoiding my emotions and dealing with women man yeah you know yeah. what i'm saying that was a that was a big one for me yeah yeah man i mean it you know and again like you said i mean you know jay-z actually said in a recent interview we weren't a lot of us weren't taught emotional intelligence right. so we would reach for the bottle, we would reach for women, we would reach for drugs, whatever, to suppress that emotion, to get away from that emotion, to not process how we're feeling, and to not just feel it, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, you know, that that's what leads to addiction. That's what leads to all of that. Looking back, looking back on it, man, how many other people around you, knowing what you know now, the education that you have now on mental health, how many people around you were struggling with the same stuff that you were struggling with? Probably most of them, man. You know, most of the fellas I knew, um, you know, were, were drink. I mean, because the thing about it is, you know, birds of a feather, man. So, right. like, you know, if I'm drinking, like, I'm drinking around, you know, my homies. Right. And ain't nobody, like, saying, nah, I'm cool. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, every we all just, we all drinking from the same bottle. Right. You know what I mean? So, and, and I mean, again, the other thing is, you know, in I've, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I'm a unicorn, bro. You know, shout out to my guy, Swoop. I am a unicorn. Mm, shout out, Swoop. You know what I mean? Like, I, we live our dreams. Mm -hmm. Like, if it's something we want to do, we do it. Mm -hmm. At that time, I wasn't living my dream. Mm. And most of the people around me weren't living their dreams. Mm -hmm. So we were, you know, it's like once Friday hit, especially if it's payday, Mm -hmm. the, all you want to do is drink away your sorrows. Right. And so it was, it was a cycle right. that I went through week in, week out. Right. You know what I mean? And so right. after, you know, as a result of my DUI, my license was suspended for a year. I could only drive to work. Um, and if I wanted to go to church, I could do that. Anything else, I have to get transportation. So, like, I'm in Aurora, so I'm in the middle of nowhere. So, like, anytime I want to do something social... I gotta hit somebody up like, yo, bro, can you uh can you scoop me and then drop me off at the end of the night? So I felt too embarrassed, you know what I'm saying, to call. So I started isolating myself. I started feeling like a burden to my family, to my friends. And then I started going through suicidal ideation again, where I was like, well, and this is more common than people think, but like suicidal ideation is like when you start to question, like, well, why am I even alive? Right. What would life be like if I wasn't here anymore? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, I was going through all of this. And then, like, later on that year, um, my sister and I, we had moved to Shaker. We were renting a house. And we decided to host Thanksgiving that year. This is a year after my DUI. And so, um, 
you know, we invited the family over. Everybody's there. We had great dinner. And as soon as dinner was over, I started feeling my heartbeat going like this. And I started feeling claustrophobic. And I, I immediately ran upstairs to my bedroom to be by myself. Mm. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, man, this is my family. I've been around them my entire life. I was experiencing my first panic attack. Mm. So I was dealing with anxiety. How old were you? I was, this was 2014, so I was 34, I believe, or 24. Yeah, somewhere around there. I was in my, I was in my mid-20s. And um, I knew something was wrong, like something was seriously wrong. And, you know, one of my fraternity brothers, who was a psychologist, also could sense something was wrong since the DUI. And, um, you know, he pulled up on me. We grabbed some dinner. And he was like, bro, have you ever thought about therapy? Have you ever considered talking to somebody about your issues or mm-hmm. whatever? Mm-hmm. I had thought about it, but I was like, man, I don't know any black people that go to therapy. It's all it's primarily white folks that do it. So I had never, I was like, well, you know, I, I guess it's not for me. And so once he was like, you know, why don't you give it a try? I found my therapist through my employer. By this time, I was back at PNC, the bank I was working at. Mm-hmm. Um, found my therapist, and I was clinically diagnosed with depression and generalized anxiety. Mm. Um, and that's where the healing started to begin from that point on. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, how was that initial first session? You know what I'm saying? When you, when you reflect on having that first session, how, how, how was that for you? I mean, to, to be honest, I don't totally remember, but what I can tell you as far as who I was then, I was a shell of who I am mm. now. Mm-hmm. Shell. Mm-hmm. Like, I was a guy, I was, you know how they say, like, you can function. Like, that's the thing with depression. You can mask it. You can mask it with smiles. You can, you know, it's not like anything physical, right? right. Like, it's it's within. It's internal. So, I was really good at shadow at, sh- at shielding how I was feeling and I would just like you know I had like no emotion I was numb I just was I was a shell of myself you know what I mean and so yeah. um you know we had our consultation and then he came back with the diagnosis and then I you know within me I just decided I'm gonna I I want to I want to be re-in-tune with who I who I really am again right. Because right. I again at this point, I, it was nothing for me to like spend a whole day on the couch. Yeah, and not yeah. get up. Yeah, man. That's again, man. I re- I resonate with so much of what you're saying, man. Listen, over let me see, ten over ten years ago, around the corner from where we are today, I I got a DUI. Mm. Matter of fact, it was we were watching a I think it was a Floyd fight, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. At this time, I'm drinking. Pizza Rock, which I oh, never Lord. fuck with today, <laughs> ever, ever, ever again. Yeah, yeah. But it was just one of those those regular nights. We yeah. partying, we kicking it, drinking at, at my homeboy spot. We go to the club, we drinking there, we kicking it there. And I remember my homeboy, mind you, I was drinking Ciroc the whole night. My homeboy ordered me a shot of Jack. That's the last thing I remember. Next thing you know, I left. My homeboy told, said that I left, and my guy called me like, where you at? You you are right, and I'm like y'all ain't come with me. They're like, man, if you don't come back and get us, yeah, I come back, pull back around, come back, and I'm pulling up to the to the club parking lot. Next thing you know, I go up a one way and try to pull into the parking lot. Yeah, 
right there. The police stopped me right there in that oh, spot. Um, ended up getting a DUI. Had to go to like the Oriental House for three days. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did the three. three I did the three days in the hotel. Three, three days in the Oriental <laughs> House and three days in the Glenwood Jail. Terrible, oh, man. T so you did. So you did the jet the three days. So I, I went through the interview. Like they asked, you know. You want to do the three days in jail? You want to do the orient the the intervention program? I was like, man, take me to the intervention program. I blew like double, damn near triple over. Oh, so shit. it was like, bro, you don't you don't you're not getting you got, you got <laughs> yeah. six days. It's either you take these six days or you got to do thirty days in the county. I'm like, no, I'm gonna do these wow. six. Wow, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was it, it was terrible. But now looking looking back on it though, man, like, bro, I was again, I was masking my feelings with just partying and kicking and just yeah. moving and really just avoiding my feelings and avoiding, you know, what I was experiencing. When I reflect back on that time, I was 21, 22 years old. Um, I was in and out of college. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was facing the external pressures of just like figuring it out, you know, trying to figure yeah. out what I was going to do with my life, um, living, living in my sister's basement at the time and just trying to like, trying to figure it out and not really having a lot of like positive outlets you know, to really be able to discuss what I was experiencing, let alone, you know, really being able to understand what I was experiencing. I didn't, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have the tools. So I did what everybody else was around me was doing, which was, was coping, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, to deal with the shit that I was dealing with. But the, the stuff that you're saying, it, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying because it's so normalized. For oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm... That's what I'm really trying to get to is that like, you know, this is, these are normal things. Normal that we, behaviors. Norm, normal yeah. behaviors that a lot of us, you know, experience on, on, on a day-to-day -day basis, man. Yeah. You, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And, and the thing about it is that that really is, and obviously we'll get to, you know, what PDLB stands for. Mm -hmm. That's really one of the main reasons why I started doing this work because once I started therapy, I literally did start peeling back the layers of who I was really am mm -hmm. you know, who I was and I learned how to I learned more positive healthy ways to cope and to live with depression mm -hmm. and anxiety there's mm -hmm. no cure for it right. so I still have depression I still have certain days where I'm like you know I'm going through it but instead of engaging in toxic behavior to my right. health I'm now equipped with the tools to do something positive. Correct. You know what I mean to to cope with my emotions. Yeah, yeah. When you when you reflect back on it, man, was there do you, was there anybody else in your family, man, that dealt with some some mental health stuff as well that you look back and like, you know what, I wasn't alone in in this as well. You know, and there was other people around me, not not just your homeboys and stuff, but a lot of times, man, as black families, man, we got other people struggling in silence around us as well, and maybe you know as we continue to educate ourselves, we can kind of look back and empathize with them. Did, did you have to experience any of that? Yeah, I mean, my sister definitely dealt with depression. Um, she still deals with depression. Um, you know, but she, again, she's in healthcare, so she she definitely she had was taking care of herself. Take to it, yeah. But she was going through it. And then, you know, I think my my grandfather, again, on my dad's side, I think he he dealt with it. But he wasn't going to therapy. He wasn't diagnosed. Yeah. It's just you that can kind of tell. Yeah. yeah, like after, because most of the time, or most of my life, um, you know, up to his passing, like, you know, my grandmother, his wife, she passed when I was five. So, like, most of my life, he was, like, by himself. So, you know, a lot of it could have been that, feeling lonely, 
you know, times he would be crying. I've seen him cry, like stuff like that. So I feel like he he also suffered from depression, but I don't know if that was set on by trauma or something like genetic. If he are if he just had it. When you when you first started going to therapy, what were some of the what were some of the, like the first things that you really started to realize? Okay, I got to work on myself regarding this. Was it the alcohol or was it was it something? something yeah, different? it was definitely the alcohol. I mean, you know, and then the other thing is like the the negative self talk. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the man, you ain't shit. Yeah, you overweight. Right. You know, like you 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 know you got two degrees, no job. Like you know you're a loser. You know, you're living with your parents, you know, like all the negative self-talk. That was one of the biggest hurdles for me Man. that I had to like, I had to work through, you know what I mean? And and to like, because really the goal of fighting through depression or mental illness, at least for me, from my perspective, is to love yourself. Yeah. And accept where you are. And accept, accept <laughs> where you are, accept yourself, flaws and all. And what deal, what, what a lot of times what gets us to engage in toxic behavior is because we don't love ourselves. Right. You know, we look in the mirror and we, and we don't see shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so for me, I had to change what I saw in the mirror in order for me to start doing things differently. And so, like, for me... As as is with everything, like one of my biggest coping mechanisms is music. Mm -hmm. You know, whether I'm making music or listening to music. You know what I mean? And so, of course, you know when you got songs like "Pursuit of Happiness" and when Kid Cudi dropped "Man on the Moon One," man, that got me through some tough times. Yeah. And then eventually, I started writing about my experience. You know, and um, I wrote this one song about my depression called Layers. And, you know, I ended up, um, you know, I got hit up. My, at this time, my, my one former roommate from New York, uh, Will, uh, was working for Vice. And he hit me up. He was like, bro, you have any songs about depression? I had literally just written this song, mm -hmm. Layers. And um, I sent him the song. I did an interview with Vice. And the song went viral. This is 2016. So at this point, I'm starting to engage in, in coping skills I think the other thing that kind of helped me was like a lot of, I'm a big self-help guy. <laughs> yeah. I watch a lot of motivational videos. I'm, I'm big on Les Brown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm big on Wayne Dyer. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the piece. Like I read the book Manifest Your Destiny and that changed my life. Like I was, I was able to kind of pull myself up from watching some of these videos. But I wrote the song, the song went viral. And that's what got, like, basically kind of like a light bulb mm -hmm. like, went off. It's like, there's not, because at that time, there wasn't really a lot of rappers you talking. Know. Like, dude, you, you know, there was rappers talking about depression since, right. like, the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But as far as talking about therapy and right. going to therapy, right. nobody at yeah. that time was really talking about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, man, because when I really, when I really reflect back on it, man, when I reflect back on it and I listen to, when I go back and listen to it, a lot of artists be going through it, man. You know, they be, it, I mean, they be pouring, they be dealing with so much. Like, even when we talk about, you know, Cash Like Hove, um, I, I think it was on um, Watch the Throne. Yeah. Oh, man, it, he that album is very dark. You know what I'm saying? He was, you know, really, I think he said he was depressed maybe four or five different times yeah. throughout that album. And these are the things that we overlook. Welcome to the jungle. That yes. Oh, man, it's dark. Yeah. It, it is yeah. dark. He, yeah. he, he pouring out his soul, man. Yeah. So how do you... 
how does it ultimately evolve into like, you know, okay, I want to use my experiences to help others and, you know, you start to form your organization? Sure. So um, for me, like anytime I get like some really dope information, all I want to do is share that with the world, share mm-hmm. that with it, as yeah. many people as possible, yeah. right? So, you know, firstly, I did the song. Song went viral. It was like 25,000 streams in two weeks. Like, it was really big. And so, like, I was like, man, we need to start talking about this publicly. Like, no one else was really, from a hip-hop perspective, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was talking about depression, was mm-hmm. talking about therapy. And so I just started tapping into my network of people that I knew um, and my or the name of my organization, Pilum Layers, back was in the the was the hook of the song Layers. Okay. Um, and so, like, I decided I was like, it was just a grassroots thing in the beginning. I was like, I'm gonna start this grassroots organization where we're gonna do events where we talk about mental health and hip hop. And so, the first event I ever did was at Warrensville Heights Library. Uh, I put together this panel it was myself, my pastor. Um, Courtney Clayton Jenkins, um, you know, my frat brother who's a psychologist, a psychotherapist, and a music therapist, all persons of color. And, um, you know, we ended up packing the room. Like, it was, it was like they had to open up the second, you know, the second wing or whatever. And, you know, from there, I just was like, man, this is something I want to continue to do. So I was doing panel discussions. And then, again, because this started from my, a song that I wrote, I started, you know, doing hosting open mics. So like giving not just rappers or poets an opportunity to express themselves, but anybody who was going through something, a chance to express themselves. Because I also understood how when you, again, when you open up, you foster community. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. That's right. you're not the only, like you've said like a few times, a few of the things I've shared, you totally resonate with that because you went through the same thing. Right. For someone who feels alone, that is a powerful thing. Correct. Because that's part of what contributes to depression. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Like nobody else understands. And so I started putting on these events. Um, and then eventually we started to grow. Like we started getting more and more opportunities. I decided, like, at the suggestion of another hip-hop nonprofit leader to turn my organization into a nonprofit. Like, the f- we first started off, uh, we got a fiscal sponsor, and um, we started getting grants for different types of projects. And the biggest project that we did at that time, this was 2019, uh, we did a project called My Violin Weighs a Ton. Mm. So, like, um, you know, I, I, we partnered with, the Lexington Bell Community Center, which is in Cleveland's historic Huff neighborhood. And we also partnered with the Cleveland Orchestra. And so, like, with this program, you know, we fuse the worlds of hip-hop and classical music to promote uh, mental health for youth. The kids that were part of the program were kid aged 4 to 14. You know, we, with our partnership with the Cleveland Orchestra, they learned how to play classical guitar. Um, and... You know, instead of playing classical music, they learned how to play Old Town Road, which okay. at the time was a popular yeah, song. A hit. Yeah. And I helped them to write their own version of the song. And so, and then I ended up working with um, music director to perform with the ensemble, you know, 
And I became the first hip hop artist to ever perform at Severance Hall. Okay. You know what I mean? Dope, Made dope. history. Yeah, dope. And and also those kids performed there. Dope. They said uh, they sang "Lift Every Voice and Sing." Like it was a beautiful moment. Right. You know, in Cleveland history and for hip hop and for mental health. One of those divine and, moments. Man, I'm telling you, you. I'm telling you. And then, um, you know, after that, I decided, you know, I wanted to be. I wanted our organization to be a standalone 501c3. So, um, you know, I ended up hiring a nonprofit coach, um, a sister. Shout out to Nonprofit Easter. She's based in the DMV. Look her up on all socials. She's dope. Shalita O'Neill, she's dope. Um, but she got me together. She, um, she helped me to put together my bylaws. She helped me to do board interviews. And then she helped me get my certification. And honestly, the turnaround was quick. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're on your shit, you can turn your organization to a nonprofit rather quickly. Because, mm -hmm. like, within, I'd say, three, four months, we were a 501c3. Wow. And so after that, we refined our mission to serve uh, from serving the black and brown community to serving uh, black men and boys. Mm -hmm. You know, mental health through hip-hop for black men and boys. Because that's who... I personally identify as, and we are the hardest eggshell to crack, yeah. as, you can, as you know. Right. Because right. it's like, when you ask somebody, especially a brother, like, how you doing? Oh, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm straight. I'm, I'm good. Straight. <laughs> I'm the type that I'm going to ask, all right, so how are you really? Well, that's why, that's why I ask, how's your energy? How are you for real? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because I really want to dig into, like, the layer, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Under that, you know what I'm saying? To really, yeah. you know, really get, to get people to, to open up. Yeah, so we, we refined our mission um, to serve black men and boys. Um, and then, you know, we, 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 we continue to do innovative, you know, there's not a lot of organizations. There's definitely none. There's really not any organizations in Ohio. There are other nonprofits that utilize hip-hop as a vehicle, but as far as utilizing hip hop as a vehicle for breaking the stigma right. for black men and boys, you know, there are not a lot of other organizations, not just in Ohio, but across the nation um, that do that. And so, you know, around the time I started the organization, excuse me, um, Kid Cudi wrote that letter about going to rehab. I got hit up with uh, BBC News the very next day. Mm. Like, they messaged me on Twitter, like, hey, you know, this is so-and-so from BBC News. You know, can we can we hop on a quick phone call with you? And, you know, next thing I know, like, they're like, you know, can you do this interview tomorrow about mental health and hip-hop? Like, you're from Cleveland. You're from Kid Cudi's hometown. We kind of want to talk about this. And that's when things really started for me. Like, I also I ended up doing an interview with this magazine based in Scotland around the same time. Like, things really started picking. Like, up to now at this point, like, you know, where we are now, like, you know, we've been on Black Enterprise. We've been on Yahoo News. Y'all been moving. You know, we've been in The Guardian. Like, you know, because, again, it's so unique. Yeah. Like, there's, there really is not, a, like, there's definitely, it's more normalized now, mm -hmm. but... When I first started this organization, hip hop wasn't used as a tool for mental health. Right. But like in my mind, like this should be in schools. So are you are schools. you are you breaking down songs and lyrics, or are you giving people are you giving the boys and, and men like the opportunity to just kind of be creative and like you know and spit and kind of write and you know put their words as a as a form of coping? So that's a really good question. That actually leads me to our latest program. So. 
Um, I dropped an album last year, last July, called Cope Dealer. So I came up with this, like, I had been working on this album for almost two years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, towards the end of the writing, the songwriting process, I started noticing how all of these songs really touched on, like, the black male mental health experience. And I was like, man, you could use the lyrics in these songs to teach these young men how to cope with mental health. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it just came to me one day, cope dealer. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a conversation starter. Like, a lot of people, when they hear, of course, at first, they'd be like, what you mean cope dealer? <laughs> right, right, You know, right, and I'm right. like, no, 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 it's <laughs> not right, that. Right, right, it's right, not that. Right, it's right. cope dealer. Uh-huh. And, uh, and which, you know, don't try to steal that. I already trademarked it. Don't try to do it. Don't try. I'm coming for you. Season desist will be uh, served. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and so I... I, I came up, I conceptualized and put together a 10-week course um, tied to songs from the album through a grant through the Cleveland Foundation. We shot a short film, um, same title, Cope Dealer, with a young black male protagonist that looked like the target of who we're talking to, who we're working with, who was processing all of these emotions in real time. Um, and so, you know, with, this, with the Cope Dealer program, you know, each week, the participants in this program listen to rap music, you know, that's uh, addressing various areas of trauma. So in my album, you know, there were songs like Too Many Funerals, dealing with grief. You know, songs like Anxiety, where you're dealing with anxiety. Eucalyptus, where you're dealing with, you know, the passing of a friend, whether it's by suicide or something else. You know, there's subject matter about incest in the black family. That's one thing that is not talked about enough. No, that's a fact. These men out here, these brothers out here, yeah. that were uh, sexually abused or assaulted right. by their own family members, and right. that's what perpetuates the behavior towards black women, right. towards themselves. It's something that's not talked about. I put that in the album, too. Right. As well as songs about leadership, fatherhood, brotherhood, chasing and conquering your dreams, mm-hmm. like all of this. And so... I put together the program, um, applied for some grants, you know, shout out to, again, the Cleveland Foundation, United Black Fund, Swage Lock Corporation, our grant, our funders. And we, last year, we launched the first program at uh, Theodore Roosevelt High School in Kent, Ohio. Eight young men, um, you know, participated in this program. Originally, it was nine. Uh, the very first day of our program, and again, man, this really show that the time for this type of program is now. So our facilitator is a black male licensed social worker. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he shout out actually to the black social workers out there. I was a social out. worker myself shout before out. I became an entrepreneur. So shout out shout to the social out to workers. Social workers yeah. bro. So he was licensed to ask certain questions I couldn't ask mm-hmm. and engage in certain conversations I can't. I have lived the experience but I'm not licensed. And so the very first day that we had our program, the Coke Dealer program, Program was about to start. It was five minutes in. Announcement comes on the PA. School's in lockdown. Mm. There was reason to believe that a student had brought an unloaded pellet gun to school. Mm. Five more minutes go by. There's a knock on the door. Yeah, we need you. And walks. <laughs> guidance counselor. She's in tears. And two SWAT police officers, both white. And they arrest one of our participants mm. on the very... Mm first day. Mm. So imagine like in a, in a normal situation, 
where you don't have a social worker in the room. Right. You, as a black kid, you see that one of your homies, an yeah. athlete, he yeah. plays basketball, he yeah. plays football, yeah. he gets arrested, his life is over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we had a licensed social worker who, he was like, man, like, you know, F the curriculum. Let's, let me, how are y'all doing? Are y'all good? He's checking with, he's checking with our boys. Some of them was like numb to it. They see it all the time. Some of them are angry. Right. You know what I mean? And so it showed that this program, like, is the right time and the right place right. for these young black men. Right. Um, and conversely, at the end of the program, um, they got accused of, um, of theft, of taking somebody's wallet, which, you know, come to find out the wallet wasn't even in the room that these boys were meeting in, but the principal, another police officer came. But at this point, you know, our boys, you know, they, when they spoke to the police officer, they let it be known diplomatically, you know, in, in a very mature way that they didn't feel served or protected. Mm. You know what I mean? And so when our facilitator asked them a second time, how you guys feel, you know, one of them said, I think we handled that better. Mm. So this Cope Dealer program is not just about mental health. It's right. about manhood. Right. It's about responsibility. It's about brotherhood. And it's also a music business incubator. So in addition to learning these coping mechanisms, so each time they meet, they listen to these songs, they analyze the lyrics, and then we give them a coping mechanism to try out, sometimes for the first time. So meditation, uh, positive affirmation. So each of our boys had a mantra. Mm-hmm. One of the mantras that one of our students had was, I will change the perception of the black man in America. Mm. And I'm, ha- I'm telling them, say your mantra out loud right. to yourself That's every right. day. That's, right. That's how it seeps into your subconscious That's right. That's and right. manifest it. That's right. and so right. um, we're, we're giving them you know, this type of game. And then conversely, they're also working on their own creative project. And for the first group, you know, we had them do a mixtape. So these young boys... Half of them had never written anything, never recorded, been to a studio, performed, none of that. And all of them came together and put together a five-track mixtape, EP, called The Cope Kings. They came up with their own name. And then we we also had them design their own T-shirt, which they all sold and made money off of. So we're also teaching them how to make money, Mm -hmm. how to hustle, Mm -hmm. how to be an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. And knowing that you don't have to just be on stage. Right. You could be a graphic designer. You could be a manager. You could. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, and at the end of the program, we gave them at the the graduation ceremony, we gave them a certificate of completion. They performed at a ticketed event in front of their school, in front of their family. Um, And then, like, they actually got booked to perform at uh, Kent State's first Juneteenth celebration. So they got a chance to do that. And I think the most powerful thing, John, like, throughout this process was seeing them open up in ways that they didn't even know. They didn't know, know. yeah. You know, it was was a cat. He told me, like, from Jump, like, man, I'm not really, I'm not going to record. Like, I just want to support. I kind of want to manage. Next thing I know, he had wrote a hook for a song. He's singing. He's like, I've never done this before. Mm. And I was like, well, because you learned how to express yourself in a way that you didn't know you could. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it was a it's it's a really beautiful program, man. And so, you know, we, we're giving them an opportunity to creatively express themselves, to express their feelings, you know, in a in a positive, productive way, and in ways that 
in a lot of ways they never have. Instead of, again, the isolation, the negative self-talk, the, you know, and again, this also is giving them an outlet that a lot of times a family, right. the teachers, the administrators would not give them. That's right. They can't connect. They can't. Right. It doesn't make sense to them. It's not their. You know, they don't. They don't see themselves in a, a lot of times. In they want to be seen and heard. Right. That is the biggest thing with youth. Right. They want to be seen, heard, and validated. Right. Right. And and knowing and knowing that the love is real. And they yes. want, they want to. They a lot of times, man. Young people need to know that you care and you give yes. a damn. And don't get it twisted. Young people are very wise and they know. When yes. it's off, they know, and they Bro. will tell you. <laughs> Bro, they will They will let it be known, they, man. They will tell you. Man, tell me, so how does, how has, you know, you doing your work and you providing your service, how has that impacted, you know, your mental health? And, you know, how has that impacted just your overall livelihood and just your overall spirit? Man, I mean, I'm in the best place I've ever been, bro. Like, life is good. Like, I, I have no complaints at all. God is the greatest. You know, he's, he is, like, in ways that I couldn't even imagine. He's opening so many doors. Um, and a lot of that, again, was, I mean, it's this interview. I'm sure you've seen the clip. Steve Harvey talks about how your gift mm-hmm. will make room for you. That's I used right. to watch that video every day on my way to work. Mm. And I, you know, I always thought that I was going to be this big rapper like Yay, like <laughs> Jay-Z, like yeah, yeah. Drake, yeah. all of that. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started telling my truth that I realized why God gave me my voice. That's right, man. And why I'm, you know, I became this rapper. And why like it wasn't about me, it was about something bigger than me. That's right. And because of that, the doors continued to open like, bro, last week I was at a a special invite-only meeting with SAMHSA and the Center for Mental Health Services with all the leaders in mental health for, for, for African Americans uh, talking about um, uh, black youth suicide and how the, the, the numbers are trending upwards. So I'm in there. I'm with, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, leaders of children's hospitals, yeah. people from Yale, people yeah. from Morehouse School of Medicine, all of that. And who do and I in sit? The room. Right, I'm in the room, and who do I sit next to? But the CEO of Nami. Mm, you know mm, what I mean? And I work part time at Nami. Yeah. Shout out to Nami, uh, Greater Cleveland. Shout out to all the Namis across the nation. I got a chance to like, I'm I'm like sitting like like this. Yeah. We conversating. Mm. You know what I mean? He's he's also a black man. Mm-hmm. So like, and went to a HBC. You know what I'm saying? And he's Greek. He's an alpha. Mm-hmm. So like, we're having real man-to-man conversations about how we solve this problem. And I'm also talking to the people in the room about the importance of the next time Kid Cudi needs to be in this room. Mm. Next time Logic needs to be in this room. I represent hip-hop. I represent the kids that I have worked with. And so, like, I can't put into words how grateful I am for God to, you know, it's just like what, uh, and I mean, again, I live and breathe hip-hop, man, so I use a lot of references. It's just like what, what Kendrick said about, you know, his second album, to Pimp a Butterfly. It's like, when you have all of this, when you got all this power and influence, how you going to pimp it? Mm-hmm. How you going to use it? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, I used to really get caught up in the celebrity of it and looking around and be like, man, I can't believe I'm here. Now it's like, I'm past that. How can I lift up my community while I'm here? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that, especially in the beginning, I get it. But for the people who are talented, the people who are influencers, 
Don't lose sight of that. You have power. You have real power. Use it. Use it for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's that's good, man. That's good. You talking, man? You talking? Listen, that is the cold dealer right here. You <laughs> yes, feel sir. Me? You know yes, what I'm saying? Sir. Don't get don't get it twisted, man. No, this is this is this is real word, man. It's, and it's and it's real powerful what you referring to. Um, listen, as as we as we both know, man, the good comes with the bad too. The ups the ups and downs. Healing is not linear, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? So, talk to me a little bit about like dealing with those negative self talks today. As you building something that is so huge outside of yourself, mm. even being in this position of power, being in this position of influence and leadership, those negative thoughts, oh yeah, they don't go nowhere. Oh yeah, they they still they still be creeping in daily, and now I just know how to counteract them with positive affirmations. Like instead of thinking like you know what's the worst cap, what's the best thing that could happen? Yeah, you know instead of thinking of because I also suffer from a condition. Uh, called adult separation anxiety disorder, mm. which, you know, long story short, it's like you you thinking that ba- something bad is going to happen to you in certain with certain circumstances scenarios. So I had to learn how to like kind of snap into snap into survival mode. Anytime that comes up, nope, it's going to be something positive instead. And so the other thing with me is I personified my depression. I call it the monster. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, when I feel a depressive episode about to come on, meaning I'm really feeling down, whatever, uh, sometimes I have a conversation with depression. Like, look, bro, I got shit to do. <laughs> yeah, facts. You can, you, can, you, can, you can hang out with me, you can kick rocks, bro. Right. Like, I, but I got shit I gotta do. Right. And then also playlisting, bro. Like, playlisting is probably the number one coping mechanism for me. You know, like, I'll never forget, quick story, um, this was a few years ago. I was, I was working on my laptop, and you know, you're creative. Mm-hmm. Everything's on your laptop. Absolutely, everything. Yeah. And at this time, I ain't have a lot of like external hard drives or, or whatever. And my mug just crashed, bro. Mm. Like it was like I was done. I wanted to punch a wall, mm. but there was something that told me you need to dance. Like you just, again, that voice. That's a good one. So I pulled out my phone. It's a good one. Got on Spotify, and I created a playlist. I called the playlist Crash. Mm. It's got Kid Cudi. It's got Ye. It's got uh, Isaiah Rashad. It's got Logic. It's got Brian Eno. It's got all this, you know, all this song, all these songs that communicated how I felt. Mm-hmm. Instead of me acting out, I put on music and mm-hmm. I started dancing, bro. Mm-hmm. And so, like now, that's my like breaking case of emergency playlist. Like, when I know I'm about to really go there, let me, as a last-ditch effort to get out of this funk, let me put this playlist on. And it helps me every time. So that, that, along with, again, you know, getting rid of toxic habits such as, like, smoking. You know, I also, like, you know, I was looking at porn a little bit, too. You know, I, I suffer from a little bit of porn addiction and feeling like, whenever I felt really alone, you know what I'm saying? So stepping away from that, like, and really enjoying the time with my wife. The other thing about, and then social media, putting social media down. That's a fact. That will, de- that desensitizes you like crazy. That's a fact, comparison and, and everything. So I'll take, I'll take breaks, bro. Like a few days, no social media, my morning routine. The other thing is like, Morning routine. My morning routine is this. 
I wake up, I thank God, I thank the elders, my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a meditation, you know, whether it's five, ten, sometimes a half hour meditation, depending on the time. And then I pray, read some scripture, and after that, I watch a video that's either funny as hell or inspiring as hell. Mm-hmm. That's how I start my day before I hop on the ground. I tell people literally every day, my morning routine is when I wake up in the morning, I do not touch my phone for that first hour. I meditate. I literally get up in the morning, brush my teeth, wash my face, go downstairs and meditate for about 10 minutes. Yep. And I go to the gym and I get it in for about a good 45, 50 minutes. Yeah. And like, I'm not looking at no text. I'm not looking at social media. I'm not doing none of that. Yeah. On my way to the on, the on my way to the gym, I'm doing my mantras, my affirmations. Yes. I may be listening to a book. Yes. But I am feeding my spirit and setting the tone for, you know, yes. you know, for however the day is going to come. Because, again, healing is not linear. Yeah. And even though I'm filling myself with that stuff early in the morning, listen, the enemy is at work. You hear me? Straight you know up. what I'm saying? So it's, it's so it's so important to set the tone yes. for what you do on, the, on a day-to-day basis. Man, that's so, that's so, so, so important, and man. Not, cannot, like, cannot uh, underscore that enough, bro, like, or overstate that enough. Starting your day right, yeah, like dictates the like your whole day. That's right. You know what I mean. Even on bad days, you don't feel as bad. That's right. The That's other right. thing is like, you know, me and my wife will put on some uh, meditative music mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. So like we sleep with, you know, po- positive vibe. We have positive vibes in our household all day long. You know that that's good, man. Because that's um, that's uh, you you breaking the the um. The high stimulation that we get, man, yeah. from being on these phones and just yeah. being connected to social media, the internet, just that is those are very good practices. Tell me, how has your how has your wife played a part in just like you really leaning into your healing and walking oh. into you know who you are today, bro? We actually on Thursday we'll be celebrating four years of marriage. Happy anniversary, Thank man! You, Happy Thank anniversary. You, um, my wife saved my life, man. <laughs> Talk she's, about she's it. Talk saved. about it. Nikkei saved my life, man. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about her is, you know, she really is a light. Physically, you know, she lives with albinism, so she, you know, she has no skin pigmentation. But her internal, bro, like anybody that meets her, she lights up the room, she lights up your spirit just by her presence. And, you know, I'm blessed. I get to, I get to have that every day, you know what I'm saying? I wake up next to her every day. Um, but the biggest thing that Nikkei did, and this is for the entrepreneurs listening, is she she enabled me to be able to, like, put my all into my music. She told me, at this time we were just dating, and we had just moved in together. She told me, quit your job. Mm. She told me, like, quit your job. Just do. I will take care of our bills. She, she fed me, clothed me for almost a year. I wasn't making any money, but I was trial and error. I was trying things out. I was doing shows. I was traveling. I was doing different things. Eventually, I started doing DoorDash and I started doing uh, Postmates. And, yeah. You know, and but you was figuring it out. I was figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a very important like the sacrifice that she made brought me here. Right. Literally, like right. like me talking right. to you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if it wasn't for that. 
And that's when I knew, like, when she told me that, that's why I knew. I was like, all right, that's it. That's yeah, we, my wife. we get married. That's a fact. That's, that's, a, fact. Like, that's a fact. So she, she continues to push me. She continues to challenge me in ways that really no one else can. Because she's also a life coach. So sometimes she'll, ah, she'll shout out, Shout coach. out to her then. Yeah, shout out to her. Yeah, shout out to my coach. life coach. Nola, out shout there. out to yeah. Nola Movement. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's so, listen. Man, you you talking, man. You you speaking, you know, you speaking to my spirit, man. This is divine order right here, man. I'm telling you, but man, people don't understand. Um, I was I had a pastor on here, my my, my last guest, shout out Pastor Pastor Paramore, and I asked him the same question about, you know, what his wife has played in his role, and they've been married almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. And he said, Man, she seen the vision and she believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. Facts. I said, man. I can't tell you how many times I, I said, man, quit, what? Bro. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Listen, sometimes the thing, the thing that I really respect and appreciate about my lady is that when I am having those negative self self-talk of myself and I'm really dealing with that self-doubt and I'm like really, really like leaning into like the question of myself. She just say one or two words. It's like, damn, I didn't even know I needed to hear that. You know what I'm saying? And and it's and it lets me know she's affirming me in the moment, but also letting me know that like I see it, even if you don't right now. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? And and that's what that's what the, you know, the internal relationship, you know, with the partnership with my lady has been. You, yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what I hear you talking about right there. And you know, black women are so intuitive. Come on, man. They you God, man. Come on, black man. Black women is God. That's a you fact. know what I'm saying? That's so a fact. That's a they're fact. so intuitive. So, like, it'd be stuff. Like, we was talking on Sunday. She had told me, it was somebody I heard, like, somebody at work say or something. And she was like, I told you that three weeks ago. <laughs> she was like, she was like, it was literally God speaking through me. Yeah, I told you to yeah, do this thing yeah, three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Just, just so you know, yeah. <laughs> I be knowing. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Man, listen, tell me what is the future, you know, appeal them layers back, man. What's the what's the vision, man? How do you see this thing, you know, really manifesting and evolving? Like, you know, what do you what do you see for your organization? What do you see for yourself? Tell me, tell me what's the long-term play. Man, for me, long-term, I think one of my goals really is to for Cope Dealer to be nationwide. Mm. Like, you know, we set up a training program where, you know, you don't necessarily have to use my music. Like, there's enough examples of, of hip-hop songs, hip-hop albums, you know, talking about depression, talking about anxiety, talking about therapy even, that you can use in the curriculum that we've put together. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so that's one goal for sure to take Cope Dealer nationwide. Um, you know, I think the other goal is to, like I said um, earlier, like we were talking before the, the podcast started, mm -hmm. you know, is is really starting to bring on other ambassadors, other people, other black men to share their story. You know, I've been telling my story for the last six years. <laughs> and I am a firm believer that, my story is not a story of trauma. It's a story of triumph. Correct. Like, I live through all of that. Correct. Because deep down, I love myself enough to keep going. Right. But there are other stories that are just as powerful. Every single one of us has a powerful testimony, a powerful story. That's a fact. So I want to be able to empower others to tell their story as well. Right. Um, and then, honestly, bro, like, there's other ideas. I'm always, like, I'm a visionary, man. Like, so... 
you know, I'm actually thinking about changing my title from CEO to CVO, mm. Chief Visionary Officer, mm. because I have vision. Mm -hmm. And I just like, to, I have all these ideas, you know, kind of like how Ye be talking like, man, I got all these ideas. <laughs> I just need the right people around. Right, like, right, right. I'm, I'm in that same boat, bro. Yeah. Like, I, if you just give me the space to just kind of like God just works through me with these ideas. And so, like, there's different, there's different ideas that I have. Like, you know, we did this thing. We did a, a collaboration with my guy, Erwin Hines, Futures Color. Um, we did a T-shirt, Coke Dealer T-shirt release. And, and part of that, we did this dinner called Holding Space with the Coke Dealer. You know, I had a chef come in and cook like a, a four-course meal. Fire. You know, the chef was a black man. All the guests were black men. And we had real conversations. Fire. You know what I mean? Like guys talking about infidelity. Mm -hmm. Guys talking about, you know, one guy was talking about how he used to rob people. Mm -hmm. Like he used to break into homes and 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 how his life turned around. And and it was powerful. So like I want to expand upon that, you know, as far as like working with adults, mm -hmm. you know, and, and men. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, bro, like I just our vision is to live in a world where black men and boys like are equipped with the tools you know whatever it is whether it's playlisting whether it's doing art whether it's making music so like whenever like an ideal world is a, a, a coke dealer can recognize when they're feeling depressed when they're feeling anxiety you know when that bipolar disorder or they're becoming manic and they know how to snap into survival mode to fight back against that. But the other thing that a cope dealer can do is can recognize in their brother, their sister, their friend, their mom, their dad, and give them the tools. You're right. dealing, you dealing hope. We pushing hope. That's right. That's what we doing. So, you know, I think you know, there's, there's, who knows, man? Like honestly, I'd like to do my violin ways a ton again. You know, at the with the Cleveland Orchestra, I'd love to partner with them again and do something big like and who knows maybe we'll get Kid Cudi to be a part of that you just never know like right. there's like the the possibilities are endless man. yeah yeah beautiful man well listen brother this has been wonderful man you know my my affirmation for today was to you know to continuously be grateful you know what I'm saying Sorry. and I am grateful for you you know doing your work and your service and I'm grateful for you coming down here with us and you know spending some time with us and like man you know I just appreciate hearing these type of conversations from brothers like yourself, man, because it's, you know, we have to continue to normalize these type of conversations. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And really be intentional of sitting down and sharing our st stories and sharing our testimonies. Because like you said earlier, man, we are not in this alone. And, you know, the more and more that we share, we can not only continue to heal ourselves, but we healing other brothers who look just like us, man, and we healing the ones who coming after us. That's right. That's you know right. No, it was an honor, man. It's this is this is breaking bro. generational curses, man. Yes, you know sir. what I'm saying? So I, I appreciate you and respect you for coming down here. Listen, before we get out of here, I want to hit you with a couple quick hitters. Yes, sir. Um, and you know, we we'll get you out of here. Yeah. First and foremost, man, what is something that you just really want to be intentional about? We wrapping up, coming up on the fourth quarter of 2022. What do you want to be intentional about ending the year on? Mm, that's a great question, man. Um, I think, you know, I think the most important thing for me is knowing that as long as I have my family and my friends, my real friends, I'm good. Like that to me is the most of my life I've been primarily a loner. 
just because I'm like I said, I'm a visionary. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of people that think like I think, bro. <laughs> and I you can't don't. you can't have nobody muddy in your waters either. And it could be lonely sometimes. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think the biggest thing, like God definitely took me through a season of, you know, kind of being alone, like almost in the desert. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But knowing that I got my family and my friends and and that being enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I really want. Beautiful. Good, man. That's 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 wonderful. Um, listen, the name of the, the podcast is called Live Your Purpose. What is your purpose and how is that connected to what you're doing today? Mm. My purpose, I believe my purpose is to use my story to help others heal. Mm. Mm. Um, and I live that every day. Yeah. Any type of platform, even in conversations, you know, like with just brothers or strangers, you know, like if if I see somebody in need, and I know that they can benefit from some of the tools that I have. Mm-hmm. Who am I to not utilize that as my purpose? So my purpose is to continue to help people heal, man. Good. Period. What's the best advice you ever received? Mm. Oh man, <laughs> that's a banger question, bro. Um, best advice I ever received. That is a really good question. Um, honestly, man, is to love is to love the person I see in the mirror mm. because that that helps me dictate everything else. Mm. If, as long as I love myself, because that's the thing. Like before I met my wife, I finally got to a point where I didn't need anyone, mm. and the reason why I didn't was because I loved myself. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, God blew my mind. Wonderful. On the flip side, what's the worst advice you ever received? Mm, worst advice. Um, don't do music. Mm, okay. All right. What is the question you ask yourself the most? Mm, what do you want? That's a good one. That's a, that's a really, really good one. What is something about you people be surprised to know? Um... Hmm. People would be surprised. Um, I mean, outside of the stuff I shared today, because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff right, I right. shared. Um, so I did share that I've been a, I was engaged before I got married um, to another woman. Um, I asked her to marry me in, on the Pont des Arts Bridge in Paris. Oh, four shit. months of planning. I'm a hard. I'm a romantic, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a movie. Four shit. months, yeah, yeah, four yeah. months of planning. We in Paris. I had my parents fly out. I had her parents fly Ooh. out. Ooh. It was waiting at the Louvre Ooh. for us, bro. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a romantic, bro. Like, and I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a romantic, and I'm also a big movie. I'm a movie buff. Oh yeah, you went all the way out. Eventually, I want to get into producing films. Fire. Put it, put it out there. Yeah. Well, listen, it, it happened. It was in divine order, man. Yes, it, sir. You know yeah. and, Bro, and I got that ring back. You better believe oh, yeah, I got yeah. that <laughs> ring back. Thank <laughs> yeah, well, listen, Thank it's, it's an even better story to tell. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Walk yeah. with the ring. Good, man. Good. Sure. Listen, what is one habit or practice, if you could, you would give to everybody that they would have to practice at least once a day? Meditation. Yeah, speak on it. <laughs> meditation, meditation, meditation. Yeah. Um, I use an app called Insight Timer. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of different meditations for any type of mood, any type of mental illness that you suffer from, depression, anxiety, um, you know, bipolar disorder, grief, 
there's a meditation for any mood, anything you're going to, and it's so powerful. I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction as well. So guided meditations in terms of speaking things into existence. Like, it is, bro, it's insane. Stillness is everything. Like, it's. Stillness is everything. Bro, like, my violin weighs a ton. That was manifested from this one night. I was, I had been talking about performing at Severance Hall for like 10 years. But at one night, my wife and I, we went to, with my parents, to see the orchestra perform. From the garage to the elevator operator to pretty much all the workers, they were all black. I felt like it was like they were like slaves or slave quarters or something like that because everybody that was working was black. But you look at the stage and you look at the audience, it's primarily white folks. Mm, mm. And so I told myself, and I went to that stage as I was walking out, I tapped the stage three times. And I said, I'm going to change this. Mm. Two years later, I was performing at Severance Hall. Stillness. So stillness, meditation, I cannot, cannot stress that enough. If everybody meditated every day, we'd probably be in a better, better world. Bro. Ain't no probably about it. Yeah, ain't no, ain't no, ain't no we'd be in a better world, bro. What is one thing you know to be true? Mm, these are some fire questions. <laughs> one thing I know to be true. Um. Mm. I think the biggest thing that I know to be true is that God lives within me, mm. with all of us. It's good. If you could go back and tell your 20-year-old self something that you know today, what would it be? Mm. Wow. Um, I think the big thing that I would say is it's going to be okay, bro. Mm. Like, beyond your wildest dreams, it's going to be okay. Just keep going. Beautiful, man. Well, listen, last thing I'm going to ask you to do is pull one of these intention cards. Yes, sir. These are listed with, with, um, with principles on the side of them. I want you to read the principle, then read the definition, and tell me how that connects to what you got going. Take that. I'll pick this top one. All right. Highlight, uplift black and brown people. Mm. This, these, so it says, if this sparked something in you, get, okay. So highlight, uplift black and brown people. Um, I mean, that's, that's all I do, bro. We created everything. Like, there ain't nothing under the sun That's right. that black folk didn't create. That's right. That's and, right. you know, all I want to do is just continue to magnify that. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. through my art, through my music. Oh, go ahead. Go also, ahead. Also, got to come. Go ahead. Go you know ahead. Go, ahead. Go, ahead. Go, ahead. Vibes, go ahead. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All I want to <laughs> do is use my platform, use PDLB or any platform that I'm a part of, to celebrate our dopeness, because we are the dopest people on the planet. That's a and fact. That's a fact. Bro. That's a fact. Listen, man, again, brother, I appreciate you coming, man. Ladies and gentlemen, man, that is the Cove Dealer, man, Archie Green. Man, I appreciate you coming through. Listen, give honor, everybody your, your social media, Insta, uh, you know, inf information, how they can get in yes, contact sir. with you if they want to, you know, do something with, um, with your organization. Tell them yes, where they sir. can. Yes, you sir. Um, you can follow me on the socials at the underscore Cope, C-O-P-E underscore dealer that's on twitter instagram you can follow us uh peel them layers back on instagram at peel dem d-e-m layers back um and then at peel them layers on twitter you can go to our website www.pdlb.org to support us mm -hmm. uh, we take tax deductible donations um you can learn about more of our organization how to volunteer and then if you have any um any ideas or if you want to bring coke deal to your school shoot us an email at gmail.com.
Say less, man. Again, good brother. I appreciate you coming through. This has been it's wonderful, honorable. man. Another episode of LYP. Listen, shout out to all my one women men out there. You hear me, Dave Hollister? We hear you. <laughs> Sir. Thank you, brother. Oh, man. It was great. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it, man. This was great. Thank you, man. You have a gift. Thank you. Thank you, man. You have a gift. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, re I received that affirmation. I'm yeah, a part of the affirmation guy, so I received that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.